Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boateng. This week, I want to share with you all a really good conversation that I had with Dr. Federica Genovese from the Monell Chemical Census Center in Philadelphia. Dr. Genovese is a postdoctoral fellow at Monell who works in the lab of Dr. Marco Tuzano. She has a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Heidelberg in Germany. I'm going to go ahead and read to you guys her research summary, and that was taken directly from the Monell website, so I'll make sure to include that link in the episode description so you can find it later. But here is her summary, so quotes. <clears throat> in the mammalian nose, the trigeminal system detects irritants and the olfactory system detects odorants. Traditionally, these systems have been considered separate sensory modalities, but a more complex picture has recently emerged. Psychophysical and electrophysiological studies show evidence of interaction between these two chemosensory systems, suggesting that olfactory perception is the result of olfactory trigeminal integration rather than an isolated system. Although most odorants can also activate the trigeminal system, and most irritants can also be detected by olfactory sensory neurons, the nature of olfactory trigeminal interaction is still unclear. So Dr. Genovese is interested in investigating the mechanisms underlying the interaction of the trigeminal and olfactory chemosensory systems during the detection of volatile irritants, with a special focus on the role of solitary chemosensory cells, or SCCs, and these are specialized chemosensitive nasal epithelial sentinel cells. Okay, let's jump into the interview and you guys can hear all about it. Hi, Dr. Genovese. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm actually really excited too, because it's always nice to talk with someone, you know, that's, that's not a scientist. And it's kind of refreshing always the enthusiasm in the, on the field. It's yeah. It's really nice. And you and I were able to meet each other in person at the Identifying um, Treatments for Taste and Smell Disorders in Philadelphia a few, uh, is that in November? Yes, it was in November. Monel organized this small conference and I think it was really a good idea. I mean, as a scientist, I find it very helpful. How about you? Do you find it? Oh, I think it was amazing. It was the first time that I met anyone else who has an ostomy like me. Yeah, it's, it must be mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, it was really um, cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so can you please tell us about yourself? Where are you from? So, well, clearly from my accent, I'm not American. Um, I'm actually Italian. So I'm from Milan, and I actually studied in Italy, but I got done my PhD in Germany in the city of Heidelberg, and I have to say a piece of my heart is still there. <laughs> but yeah, so I got, I, I can say I'm fully, a full European now living two years in, in Philly, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so your background, uh, your education is from Italy and Germany. So how did you end up in Philadelphia working for the Monell Center? Well, because I started studying neuroscience in Italy, and then when I did my PhD, that was on the chemical senses, so on smell as well in Germany. And, you know, I started studying, and 
every two or three articles, the name Monell Chemical Census Center was coming out. And so at one point when I, you know, had time to decide what to do next, uh, the Monell was one of the, my top places. Then I was lucky enough that at one of the conference, conference, at a conference in Japan, I actually met my uh, PI right now, so Marco Tizzano. Lucky enough, I got a job offer and that's where I am now. That's amazing. So what are your, um, what are your, or what is your background in education? Uh, what are so, your degrees? So I studied human biology, then I specialize in neurobiology, and then finally I kind of got a little bit broader again and got the PhD in neuroscience. So that means that I kind of know almost any corner of the brain, or at least I read about it, and and then what else? And but I have to say I focused on the on the smell quite quite early, quite early. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I kind of like now stuck with the nose since seven years. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you're working on that. <laughs> yeah. In the very beginning, like when you were very young, what got you interested in science and and then specifically, I guess, in studying chemosensory disorders. I got interested in science when I was a child. So I really don't know. I think like the inside me was really just curious about how things were working. And then, you know, more you grow up, more you refine your, your dreams and ambitions. And I started to be really interested about us as humans, we are working mm -hmm. and then I found where I discovered this this organ, which is the brain, which is the the one that kind of characterizes and differentiates us from the other animals in a way or the others, and that we really know not much about it. So I was like, well, there's a lot to know here, so I want to be into this. And then when I started that, I figured out that the chemical senses, so the smell, is one of our most primordial, like kind of primordial senses, mm -hmm. but still it's one of those that we don't know that much about it because it's been sort of like the Cinderella of the senses for so long. Right. And if we consider that we roughly know or started to know how we can catch the odor molecules from air into our nose only in 1994. So it's really, you know, it's while there are studies on eyes from earlier. So that's, that's why I kind of got a, a catch in the olfactory, in the uh -huh. smell. And for chemosensory disorders, I have to say that I started to be really interested about it since I moved here to Monal. I think our center has a very nice and broad way to approach the chemical senses. So we have people like me working on the single cells or with animal models, but then we have other people that are working more on with patients with anosmia and get to know how the human sense of smell is working. So here I started to get to know how is affecting the, the lack of the sense of smell people like you, for example, mm -hmm. and being very interested because as I, probably told you at the conference, sometimes as a scientist, especially when you work with animals or single cells, 
you know, you're stuck to your bench and you kind of sometimes lose the focus on the final goal or right. like that it's for something else. Sometimes, you know, just for sake of knowledge, which is pretty cool and I like it anyway, but I also like to see that it could have an impact on the persons next to me. Yeah. So here, this was really, yeah, it was really striking me out and like really engaged me. So I think that's uh, one of the really great things of where I am right now. And also the community of the sense of smell science-wise, which is not that big. So we kind of have the chance to, you know, touch and get to know a little bit of every every side of the story that goes from, again, the single molecule to, you know, the big behavioral or pathology. Yeah. So part of your work, I know just from your background and, and what we've chatted about, part of your work is with the trigeminal nerve system. So yeah. can you explain to listeners, uh, I guess in layman's terms or not dumb it down necessarily, but can you explain yeah. what the trigeminal nervous or nerve system is and how does it impact or interact with the sense of smell? Yeah. So the trigeminal nerve, we actually have to deal with it quite a lot, is the fifth and the biggest nerve of our head. And it's basically providing motor function to all our face. For example, you can chew because of this nerve. Oh. And at the same time, it also has a sensory function. And so it's responsible for the touch. So if someone is touching your face, you can recognize it because this nerve is giving you this information, but it's also in charge of detecting changes of temperature and pain. What it's not really known and it's kind of not straightforward is that also the detection of chemicals like irritants is depending on this system, which is, for example, when we cut onions, when we are cooking or we are doing something else and our nose starts to itch, we start crying and so on. That's our trigeminal nerve saying these things, I don't like it that much. So let's try to wash it away in the case uh. of, of, yeah, of crying. Or it, that's what makes you sneeze when something bad gets into your nose. Or when you eat something very, very spicy, it makes you sweat. Yeah. And having this hot feeling through all, all over your face. This is because the pain and the temperature sensors are actually the same. So this is funny. So the chili give us hot sensation is because the, the fibers, so the detector of the chili are the same as the detector of the temperature. Oh. So that's, and it's the same also for cold things. Like if you have mint, well, mint is always refreshing because it's activating those trigeminal sensors which are also detecting very, very cold temperatures. So that's why it gives us this double feeling. And then why is that connected to the sense of smell? This is exactly what I'm doing and I'm trying to do since I started to do science. So what we know is that everything that gets into our nose is actually able to activate the sense of smell, but also those pain temperature fibers. So we know that those two systems are working together, but 
we don't know if they, com they can communicate with each other. There are some evidences that show that they are able to talk with each other, mm -hmm. but we don't really know how. And that's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. That's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I know for me, I have attempted like olfactory smell training because I do have anosmia. And the only one that I, when I don't look at the labels on the little vials that I have of the smells, the only one that I know that it's eucalyptus is because of that trigeminal nerve irritation. Yeah. I, I can tell that it's the eucalyptus one because I can tell that something's happening and that doesn't happen with any of the other smells. So it's like my easy way to cheat and know that I'm smelling eucalyptus. Yeah. But the, the point here of my research is, are you really cheating? Because right. That, <laughs> that might not actually be cheating, but it's like, you know, a intrinsic property of the sense of smell is also the trigeminal part. Right. So that's irritation, coolness, hot sensation. And we can go on and on talking about that. And like, that's also one of the reasons why I started actually to be a little bit more interested in anosmia, because there were some early studies from Thomas Hummel mm -hmm. that showed that who doesn't, cannot smell anything anymore, still using the trigeminal nerve sensation is able to distinguish between two different odors, which is exactly what you told me. Yeah. And so, like, starting from this, I was kind of excited. I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. What? They cannot smell, but they can still distinguish it? Yeah. There, there must be a trick here. <laughs> and so that's why I got even more interested in the, in the trigeminal nerve. Yeah. Or system, as we want to call it. Yeah. And then part of your... Uh... Part of your research that I was reading about online, and I believe your work with Dr. Tizano, is how certain smells can trigger migraines. Yeah. So what is that research about, in it, and um, what got you interested in that specific topic? As I told you, the trigeminal nerve is innervating the face, but it's also kind of innervating a very tiny membrane, which is sitting right on top of the brain. When this membrane sort of is irritated because the trigeminal nerve is active, that's when you have migraine. Interesting. So you, yeah. So that's where, you, for example, the pulsating, the pulsation that you feel, uh -huh. that's basically the nerve which is calling out the inflammatory particles, let's call it molecules, mm -hmm. and inducing vasodilation. So all the blood vessels which are on top of your head or your brain are actually dilating. So they are kind of pushing on the brain on, on the bottom and on your skull on the top. So that's why you feel like this pulsation feeling. So then I kind of got interested because we reconnect, as I said, I, I think that those two systems, the smell and the trigeminal or pain system, as we want to call it, are working together. So I was reading about migraine and people that suffers of them chronically, that means that they have considered, I, I really, I'm really struggling by that. There are some people that have a migraine attack at least twice a week or every second day. I, I can't imagine it. Right. And yeah, so like, and they say that very strong smells or very specific smells and odors can trigger the migraine. So I was like, uh-huh. How, so those two systems are talking with each other again. 
Right. And so this is something that we would like to try to figure out because, you know, they did a lot of studies about, in general, hypersensitivity to light, to sounds in case of, in case of migraine, but not really much was knew about the smell and nobody really knows yeah. what's happening. So, you know, if, it would be really interesting to try to figure out, for example, which kind of odors. Is there a specific property of those odors that can identify them as a trigger? And then once we know that, it's just any way that we might actually stop it, not, you know, before even occurring, so directly from our nose. Yeah. So this is something that, you know, I'm really interested to. I'm trying to work with, with, the, with Jefferson, the Jefferson Hospital. They have a migraine and headache center. Okay. And we have a collaborator there, which is, he's super nice. And he was asking the same things. Again, in that case, he's working with people, with patients. So his insights for us at the bench are so precious. And also, at the same side, it's like it makes everything so much real. You really feel, again, that you are helping someone. Right. And so I'm, I'm actually really glad that we can work on this together. Yeah, that would be amazing for people if you if there was like certain sense that they could avoid or I don't know, some magic way to turn off that piece of the trigeminal nerve without impacting <laughs> you negatively. <laughs> yeah, because so. uh, unfortunately you cannot shut down the trigeminal nerve in itself because right. it's a defensive system. So, you know, you want still to be able to detect, I don't know, natural gas or yeah. you know, harmful things that are getting into your nose. But at the same time, when this system becomes to be hypersensitive, it's, it's a really a pain. And there's another pathology that actually showed that, which is basically a chronic inflammation of the trigeminal nerve. It's like having pain through all over your face to levels. You know when you have toothache? Mm -hmm. How bad is it? And this is like all over the face. Wow. Yeah. That's, a, this, yeah, that's interesting. This system is really powerful. <laughs> we have to say that. Yeah, not and from what it sounds like, not very well understood yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting exactly because of that too. It's like not uh, we know how pain works, but find cures or way to alleviate pain. It's kind of harder because it's again, it's also a defensive system. So has been, you know so much strengthened up by evolution that, you know, this system cannot fail. You, right. you can't fail to feel pain because that's the first way to preserve yourself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when there's something not working, it's really, really hard to, to fix it. Yeah. Before we continue on with our conversation, it's time for a quick message break, but we'll be right back. What advice do you have for people who are interested in getting into neuroscience? So maybe we have like young listeners or people, older listeners who want to go back to school or get into this field. What kind of advice would you provide? Well, first of all, it's to, to keep mind open. So neuroscience or 
biology and science in general is getting really specialized. You know, people like me can work on a single system or a single molecule for so long. But I think what is really important is to try to, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, here in the center with the collaboration, is to try to keep always your your view kind of broad, see where the connections are, what what this system could do or what you are studying could do to impact other things. And then the other thing, which is more practical, is to learn coding. Science is going very much into coding and we have huge amount of data that now we try to analyze, building up models in a way to try to predict how a system will react to a certain action. And I feel like if coding is going to be the next big thing. So one is a very practical and the other one is a more philosophical yeah, <laughs> advice. That is good advice about the about both, but specifically about coding, that's interesting. Yeah. Awesome. I, I'm actually also like, I didn't really learn about it. So I'm trying to catching up now. Yeah. And I see how tougher it is to do it now as a, you know, in your uh, free time than when you are actually studying that you are supposed to. At that time, at my times when I was studying, it was not a big thing yet. Right. I sound very old, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think like this is something that, yeah, everyone should really look into. Awesome. So what has been your favorite research project regarding smell disorders so far? I think I kind of uh, spoiled it before. Yeah. And it was the one that was impacting me a little bit more. It was the study, the serious different studies from Hummel and from Thomas Hummel about how the trigeminal system is also affecting uh, anosmia or in general, like how it could be a nice shortcut and something to work on in the case of olfactory disorder. Even though it's kind of make it a bit tougher because it seems that even the trigeminal sensitivity goes a little bit down with affecting the sense of smell. Mm. So that's, a, I think it's an interesting path to look into. And again, I think it also gave a different perspective because everyone is always fo focusing on what is not working. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I felt it was nice and I liked the idea on also seeing, you know, what is working and that can give like even for on a shorter term and maybe not a perfect solution, but something to grab on and to work on, you know, knowing that you cannot smell something, but you can perceive the pungency, differences in pungency you know, kind of, I feel like it might be helpful. Yeah. And if you could do any research project, this kind of is leading from, from what you're just talking about right now. If you could do any research project where you had like unlimited funding and unlimited resources, what would you want to focus on? Or in other words, what's, what's your dream research project? I have to say that I'm lucky enough that what I'm doing is engaging me so much that will be exactly this. For me, oh, it's awesome. my, that's what I like. And I really like it. And I feel it, how to say, you say guys under my skin, that's kind of feeling like this. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
I would love to have unlimited funding to do this. Yes. <laughs> Great. And what do you want people who have anosmia to know about the current research that's going on in the field? Mm, that's a good question. So I think something you mentioned before is the olfactory training. And I think that we had a small session here at Monel, and I took part in it too, because I wanted to, of course, I was curious. And I wanted to see how it was going. And I think this is something that whoever has anosmia should look into, because it's, again, it's something practical that has some scientific basics, some others that is just working, so we keep on on this. And, and I think that could be uh, really helpful. So definitely look into that. And then of the current research, I think NIH, so where we got the fundings for working, is mm -hmm. start to, you know, I think they, they also said that at the conference where we were together, mm -hmm. they, they start to put really a lot of effort in, in trying to financiate who has good ideas about how to prevent or trying to, let's say, cure anosmia. Yeah. So one of those is definitely working on the stem cells. So building up new neurons that can uh, sense odors and trying to find a way. I mean, I think the dream project of everyone would be sort of a nose transplant. It's not nose, it's olfactory neurons. Yeah. But I guess that's a, one of the final aims. Uh, yeah, that would, be, way. that would be amazing. Yeah. And then I think on the other side, a lot of groups are working on trying to find ways to sort of protect our sense of smell. One of those was something done, for example, from my PI. We've been working together on that, on the microvillar cells, microvillar cells, mm -hmm. or the solitary chemosensory cells. So those are kind of sentinels of the nose that are able to detect, for example, bacteria and other harmful substances which can get into the nose. It's a bit different from the trigeminal, but they work hand in hand to, together. Mm -hmm. So those cells are more specific for really bacteria and viruses. And what is the PI? Oh, right. My PI is basically my boss. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, PI is a principal investigator. Okay. I, I hope so. I always call it PI and never really looked into it, but should be principal investigator. So a principal investigator is sort of the final stage of a scientist's career. Okay. If we put it like this. Like right now, what I do depends from my PI, my boss, if uh -huh. he thinks it's worth it, if he thinks that, you know, we have... Um, enough money to do that, if it's also like, I don't know, if I have the right approach. So he is both a guidance for new scientists, but also, you know, someone that it's, can tell you, look, where you're doing is wrong, or sorry, I know it's a good idea, but I don't have money for this right now, so right. we cannot do it. So okay. all of us growing up as a, now I'm at postdoc position post-doctoral. Uh, uh -huh. So what I'm trying to do is like slowing, building up my own career. 
So yeah. try to get money by my own maybe. And then this way, you know, I can put all my focus on my dream research project. Yeah. <laughs> Which is still, I'm doing it anyway. And I'm lucky enough that my PI is supporting it. That's great. But still, you know, you always want to be your own boss at some point. Right. <laughs> Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with listeners on the podcast? I want to thank you because I, I think like your work, the work you are doing is, is really helping all of us to, as scientists, to build up a communication with who suffers of anosmia or general olfactory disorders. I think like for whoever is listening or, yeah, or is interested, what I would say is like, first of all, reach out. Monel is is usually pretty open to you know people emails i see people working here around that we really appreciate any external person that is interested in what we do and that can find what we do helpful and their experiences are helpful to us too so yeah, yeah. i think that- reach out communicate and also olfactory community science-wise is working and it's working hard and I think we are trying to filling up the gap that the other senses have in in case of uh, cures and so on you know yeah blindness and stuff or like visual problem with the with your sight still there are a lot of cures and way to improve it auditory they did great job with your ears but not much with the nose, but I would say that here we are really working hard on that. Yeah, hopefully we can, this field will catch up quickly. <laughs> Definitely. How can listeners get a hold of you, like on social media or on e- or via email? Okay, so via email, first of all, there's Monel. So reach out with us. We have great people able actually to do communication with with the public, probably better than me but I'm also there so my Monel emails is there too so mm-hmm. uh, you can reach me out there and then I got a Twitter account which is not super active but still I try to publish or you know retweet whatever it's interesting going on on the olfactory world so as a scientific point of view so you can see some news over there you can also ask something over there what is your Twitter handle? It's okay. Federica, uh, G-E-N-O-V-E, and then five. Okay. I probably I was the fifth. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. And yeah, it's great. I hope it was clear. As always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Genovese, you can visit the Monell website and look for her research projects. You can find her on Twitter at Federica Genovese 5 and it's spelled F-E-D-E-R-I-C-A-G-E-N-O-V-E-5, or via email at fgenovese at monell.org. I'll include links to information about Dr. Genovese herself and to the current research that her and Dr. Chisano are doing with microvillus cells. Are any of you listeners migraine sufferers? I'm not personally, but I can imagine that it's an awful condition to suffer with. 
So what do you all think about the idea that migraines may be triggered by certain scents? Just something that pops into my head as well is, do we have to be able to perceive those scents in order for them to trigger migraines? Because as an anosmic, obviously I wouldn't be able to smell the scent, and so I wonder if it would trigger a migraine. Anyway, just something interesting. So let me know what you thought about today's episode. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? If you have a story that you'd like to share or if you'd like to be interviewed for the show, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at thesmellpodcast. So I also want to share a really cool experience with all of you listeners. Back in December, myself and three other ladies who have anosmia met up in Manhattan for dinner. So the Identifying Treatments for Taste and Smell Disorders Conference last November was the first time that I'd ever met anyone else who's like me, who has anosmia, and I was really excited to meet up with other anosmics again. So I planned a dinner using the Anosmics at the World Unite Facebook group, and we ended up with four anosmics and one husband who had a functioning sense of smell. And it was just a really cool experience to talk to other people who were like me, and none of us were commenting on how great the food smelled or anything like that. And that seems like such a small detail, but it was really comforting. Anyway, we had such a great time that we're going to do it again, this time in New Jersey. So if you're interested in attending, it's going to be a dinner, most likely on Saturday, February 9th. So please keep an eye out for the event on the Anosmics of the World Unite Facebook page, and I would absolutely love if you can join us next time. Feel free to bring any of your Olfi friends and family with you, and a shout out to Yasmin Salazar, aka the girl who can't smell, for coming up with that brilliant term, Olfi. Also, as a reminder, uh, don't forget there's going to be another really good conference this year focused on smell and taste disorders in May 2019 in Gainesville. Check out the Smell Taste 2019 website at www.smelltaste.org and registration is open now. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the podcast when they're searching for it in iTunes. And lastly, if you would like to financially support the show, you can now do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. Until next time, I hope you have an amazing day.